Please be seated. Famed evangelical preacher, speaker, and mover, uh, Tony Campolo is credited with this legendary sermon. My parents heard back in the 70s at the Southern Baptist Convention's Christian Life Commission. And Tony got up and he said something like this. He said, there are millions of people dying of malnutrition or war or unsafe water. And, and then he finished that sentence with a profanity-laced diatribe. I'll let you use your imagination as to what that sound like, sounded like, but he used the really good word. And then he let it sit for a second and he said, and you know, most of you are more worried about that word I just said rather than the fact that people are dying. Well, my parents thought this was really funny and moving. But you know, what registered with me more than anything was the man's mere gall, the, the, the shock I had at this stunt, rather than what he was really saying. But later on, as I thought more about it, I reflected about how we sit safely, we can sit safely in an air-conditioned room listening to a man saying something controversial, and we have the privilege of being offended at his coarse language, don't we? We get to be offended because we sit in a comfortable place. We're a tribe of people who have very fine sensibilities about things like language and sermons. But then across the world, there's other people who have to worry about things like just getting by or getting through the day without getting killed, right? His talk polarized a lot of people, but it didn't polarize a lot of people because of what he was saying about privilege. It was because of what he said and the words he used. So many missed the point. And you know, a lot of people miss the point today with what Jesus is saying in the Gospel of John. Of course, the temple folks are horrified with his talk of eating his flesh and blood. And Jesus really puts a fine point on it because in the original language, he says the normal word for eat, and then when they ask him a question, he says something like, not only must you eat my flesh and blood, you have to chew on it. You have to gnaw on it like an animal. He uses the word gnaw. And then later, his best friends, his disciples, uh, ask him again, how, how can we do this? This is hard. And in one translation, the Common English Bible, Jesus, and I can just hear him saying this, uh, it, the translation says, oh, are you offended? So our offense now at this and the offense that people had back then could even be the same because Jesus' talk about flesh and blood is shocking, and it is weird, but I think that most of the time we miss the point. But we also forget that Jesus was a rabbinical teacher. He was a good teacher, and you know, he's, he's well known in the gospel for saying things that bother people and that stir people up. And if we get offended at the literal images that he is offering today, then it's a very good clue we are missing the point. The new atheist community loves to talk 
uh, about Christians coming to church and eat, eating and drinking little bits of a man. One, one man from the New Atheist camp even has this really funny diatribe, but, but totally wrong-headed diatribe online that links Christianity to vampirism and cannibalism. And you know, that's just silly, isn't it? That's not what we're talking about, and that's definitely not what Jesus was talking about either. And you know, that's, that's not what ought to be most offensive to us either. To get a clue on where Jesus is going with this, we have to imagine for a second the crowd that is before him as he talks. He's just fed 5,000 people uh, bread and fish and probably wine. And they're all full of this bread and wine that Jesus has given them. And, and as he looks over the crowd, he looks out and he sees ordinary working class Jewish people. He sees Pharisees and Sadducees and people in various subgroupings according to the various kinds of holiness codes and religions that they follow. He sees Roman citizens. He sees slaves. He looks out and he sees not just a crowd of people, but a crowd of people that is strictly defined by who their parents were, where they were born, what state or religion they belonged to. And you know, these subgroupings were not trivial. They were not a trivial matter. For all these people in this crowd, they determined how they could live. These subgroupings were life and death. If any of these people lost their subgrouping, were kicked out of their tribe. They lost everything. People were defined back then, and I'm afraid just as they are now, by their divisions. Further, what gets the religious people of Jesus' day really upset is that he convicts them about how they divide themselves off according to their religiosity. They find their piety in temple sacrifice they find their holiness in codes and laws. And he's saying this is not where the divine is located, friends. Jesus is saying to them, I am the sacrifice that God is making on behalf of all humanity. I am the point of unity. I am the love that is brought to this world that is now able to exist as a result of this life, this flesh and blood that I bring to you and my eventual death. I am the new standard for how tribes are formed. I am the new standard for who is included. And you know, we've civilized this imagery so much. We've gotten so used to it in the Eucharist that we share every week that we forget just how shocking and radical it is. I had to have a long talk with my Jewish godson about transubstantiation. He went to his cousin's first communion at a Roman Catholic church up in Cleveland. And he'd never been to a communion service before, and he didn't know anything about it, coming from a religious Jewish family. And when the priest said something about uh, eating the body of Christ, he turned to his mother in a very loud voice in the middle of this packed Catholic church, says, Mommy, they're going to make Sarah Beth eat a man. And you know, Luca got how shocking it was, how, how, how shocking it is really that we come here and we do this thing and it makes us all one. And when we talk about the body and blood of Christ, it's hard for us to be simultaneously shocked 
and moved to reverence by such a thing. But the Eucharist should do both to us. Like the people of Jesus' day, when we stop and think about what it really is, we ought to be more shocked about it. Especially when we look around and we consider how divided we allow ourselves to remain in spite of the fact that we are offered every week an end to this division. If Jesus is bread and wine, if Jesus is the flesh and blood that we eat and drink, then then that means that we are not all separate, but we are the same on a flesh and blood level then. Because of Jesus, now all of humanity is no longer defined by anything other than him. You are all, he is saying, because we share the same bread and wine and the same love of God, the same. We are all loved and cared for and created by the same God who loves us all as her flesh and blood. That ought to be hard. It is hard when we think about it. And and it ought to be offensive, especially when we consider how we define ourselves by our tribes, Christian or Muslim or rich or poor, black or white, Alabama or University of Georgia. We get a harsh blow from the gospel today then because it informs us, friends, that those divisions are no longer valid in God's eyes. They are no longer valid when it comes to flesh and blood, when it comes to who God is knows that we are. This is radical stuff. And we ought to be more upset by that, really. Radical stuff, because we are the same body as the person across the church from us that we never really liked. We are the same body as the homeless lady making noise during the sermon. We're the same body as the little kid picking his nose during communion. We're the same body as the young cop who shot a young, young unarmed black man with the same body as people shrouded in black who want to kill us, with the same body as the people who sit on death row, with the same body as the people who love us, and the same body as the people who, who we hate and who hate us. If all that is true, then some things have to change in our lives, don't they? If we are all the same flesh and blood, then we have to be very suspicious of the polarities in the tribes that we live within. We have to be very suspicious of the sides that we take. We have to begin to consider that the other side, on the other end, sits our flesh and blood. So inevitably, when we find ourselves forming up teams for the various battles that we may have in our lives, political, economic, or ideological, or even just everyday stuff of everyday life. We have to remember, sitting on the other side of that battle is our own flesh and blood. Jesus today calls us, because of this, to something that writer and Franciscan monk Richard Rohr calls third way seeing. We're called not to take one side or the other, but to love the person who sits on the other end. And see, through this, through Jesus and with Jesus, now we can all know the way to, well, we can know the way to communion. 
communion with one another, communion with creation, and communion with God. Because of Jesus, now we are all able to be together. We are all in. We have the means to love one another as he loves us. Because we are all, after all, his flesh and blood. Amen.